Fuck it. Lick it. Pull it actually works. Whip it. Whip it. Pierce it. Do you really have to shout at it? It says shout it? I think it said lick it. Deb. Juanito. Yank it. Twist it. What? No, I was totally on it. Where you on it? Cup it. One hundred my butt. Okay. Yeah. Penises. Penises. You have a you have a lot of pop when you say penises. Penis, penis. I don't know about anything. <laughs> you don't know about penises? I suspect different. It appears that we're recording. Hold on to your buttholes. This might get weird. Salutations. You're for some reason listening to Burked in the Burk. A voyage to Uranus. What is wrong with you? Stop now. This is a podcast by Portland, Oregon's worst band, Molly Band, who would rather yak about music than actually rehearse. Does Joe need to know anything? Where is he? Is he smoking? Joe knows a lot from what I understand. So if I'm standing right here talking, does that affect anything? Uh, it's, it's better if it goes straight in. So like I could move. <laughs> Cause sometimes when it goes in at an angle, it kind of. Yeah. That's hurts. bad. Isn't it? That's my thing. <laughs> Disappointed. I know. I it know always disappoints anything. people when I miss it. Especially the lobs. Do I, I can sit on the floor over here if you want. Nah, man. Stretch out. Sit like a cat. Roofie myself. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you already do that with what's the, in the bag? I have the ability to roofie myself. I feel like I tried that one for a while, <laughs> but I didn't know it was a roofie thing. <laughs> is that a thing? Roofing oh, no, off? No, roofinol is the oh, drug. I thought you said roofing off. Is it off. really? Like, no. like yeah, I'm going to do it to myself. I'm roofing off. It's yeah. No. yeah, it's rohypnol. Um, Where does the word roofie come from? It's a sleeping pill in Europe. I know. Yeah, I used to get it. They didn't have shark castles under it with eight dicks going into that. Because I know it was a giant. Oh, because you don't want your dick to just fly off. Previously on Fact in the Bird. Oh, because you don't want your dick to just fly off. I'm I'm seeing this from a different lens because I have a vagina. Do you? We were going to touch tips. 
God, every time, every time. Just touch and then nothing <laughs> no, else. Yeah, then, but you can't look at each other when you touch tips. <laughs> Just for a you, you have to look away. They, d- they didn't have sharks yet. They didn't fart and poop at the same time. Eight assholes with eight dicks going into those assholes with eight assholes under it with eight dicks going into that. You never buy jewelry off of somebody in the parking lot. What do you buy in the parking lot? Uh, hookers. Okay. Uh, crack. Okay. I'll give you an $1,800 blowjob for 20 bucks. <laughs> feels so great when someone puts their dick in your nose. <laughs> Lie to me, Pinocchio. And you know, modern lady dwarves are also in a lot of porn. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I watch five hours of porn every night. Five dollars worth of porn? Five dollars worth of porn. We have not discussed how to introduce this stuff. Would we like something consistent like, hey, we're reading the blah 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 book? The formal introduction thing, I'm not a huge fan of. of yeah. I'm so and so. This is because so, people don't. It doesn't matter really either. I feel like when I've listened to podcasts, they're just getting started, and they're like, "I'm Dave, and this is John." To me, it's it sounds a little narcissistic. Yeah, but I mean, the the medium of podcasting and that sort of thing is a little narcissistic, just in general. <laughs> yeah, that's you're, true. I want to be heard. You're, you're like being in a band. You're literally making something to make people listen to you. Yeah, that's that's a good argument. I guess I feel less narcissistic if I have no pants. There you go. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, what if everyone makes their own introductions and then when you make yours, you're like, I have no pants. I mean, do what, do you guys really care if we have our names? I, I don't, don't think care at know. all if my name is in it because I'm not a celebrity that's trying to brand myself. So. So how do you want to start it then? Just so Deb. We were thinking that since you picked this book, you should tell us. I didn't pick what this it book. Is. Yeah. I thought you did. No, I said yes to it. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, those are terrible. There's a one of my conference call people just puts his nose on it. I'll just hold my breath. There you go. <laughs> Hold your breath the whole time. <laughs> so who did pick this book? Who picked this book? Scott, did you pick this book? I said you guys had to read this. Had you read it prior to saying that? No. How did it come up? Are in you glad that you said that since since <laughs> I like the book, honestly. I think didn't we want a female, right? Yeah. After the testosterone of Joey Shithead. Maybe definitely more drug-induced perspective than... Yes. Yeah, more drugs. Way more drugs. No, I had to look up drugs I didn't know about. Such as? I remember that it was like a red and blue caplet and that it's mentioned in Fight Club. I Wikipedia'd it. It was one of those those rich pills. It was like a way to get high Mandrix? from a doctor. Mandrix? Maybe. Yeah, I'm looking I think in so. the the index has a list of all the drugs mentioned under drugs. I think that's I think that's <laughs> it. Yeah. How many are there? Well let's look. We have what's heroin? your favorite drug on here. The Brompton cocktail I've heard of before. That was like a 
favorite of the Brompton contingent, which was the Susie and the Banshee crowd at one point. Uh, and these were these were legal. I mean, the Brompton cocktail was like something you'd get from the pharmacist, and it's crazy. It's, it's described in here. I'll, f- I'll find it. I just well, it was interesting her, to me. Go mm, mm. I just realized her initials were MF. That's <laughs> MF's first exposure to heroin, Narcotics Anonymous. Brompton cocktail, morphine, cocaine, LSD, Mandrax. Mandrax? Mm-hmm. MF is junkie. Dealers, sleeping pills, suicide attempts, mescaline. Big time consumption starts. Methanol, prescription, treatment. Procaine? What's that? It's like a kind of a cocaine offshoot. It numbs she you. She talks about that in the it, book. It numbs about you. About how it's... Like professional cocaine. Not no. Like it kind of sucks. It was a fake cocaine, and it froze her vocal cords. Yeah. Oh, that one was she was on and she thought SNL it was cocaine. or yes, it was. Yeah, an she SNL went story. up to sing and and everyone she was froze. like, "Whoa, that was cool what you did with your voice." Yep. Okay, that's it. Sorry, Dave. Uh, Brompton cocktail, half morphine, half cocaine. There you go. Upper yep. and a downer. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to me that. Up until 65 or even 68, I don't remember the date, but cocaine was legal from pharmacies in London. Mm-hmm. Many of those drugs were legal from pharmacies in London. They had scripts, right? I yeah. mean, um, I think Keith Richards was the one who talked about he doesn't have all the problems from his decades of drug abuse because he didn't use street drugs, apparently. Yeah, he purchased them. Yep. Like so a it's country music singer. Not street drugs? Yeah. Street drugs are mixed with all sorts of stuff that you don't know what's in there, whereas the stuff you get from a pharmacy is it's going to be clean. pure. Yep. Yeah, that and the heroin, too. So it's mean, healthy drugs. Yeah. They're kind of like vitamins. I didn't know that. Well, if the doctor gives it to you. Vitamin H. Yes. <laughs> vitamin C. Oh, there already is vitamin C. Shit. Damn it. <laughs> did you guys do drugs while you were reading the book? Um, I, I did some caffeine. I'm always high, so yes. This time Molly Bang reads the gosh darn book Faithful by Marianne Faithful. Eat it, idiot. Did you guys happen to find a favorite sentence? She uses a lot of big words, usually unnecessarily. Yes, I both admired and hated her for her vocabulary. It's like, yeah. It's very clearly well read. Early on, you asked the question, what's your favorite sentence? Is it the most pretentious one you've found so far? A lot of it was very pretentious. Definitely. Yeah, there was a lot of literary references in here. She talked about The Master and Margarita, which is this book influencing Let It Bleed. So I went and looked up The Master and Margarita and checked that out a little bit. But there was all sorts of fairy tales, a lot of culture. You know, she's trying to pull a lot of culture into the book. And it was really highbrow at times. I mean, for somebody who lived on a wall. And that was one of my favorite parts is when she's just living on the wall. Yeah. Which I also In question. In the bombed out building. Yeah. It's like, how do you live on a wall? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, know? that's obviously <laughs> just making it more beautiful than it is yeah yeah she definitely like beautified her victimhood you know Mm -hmm. in this a lot but i like when she tells dylan that she's been living on a wall he's just kind of like far out (laughs) you know (laughs) that's pretty much it (laughs) she's 
at a party and she's seen people go into the bathroom and they're coming out and sparks are flying off of them and that she knows very well what's going on in that bathroom and it's they're doing drugs and she's looking forward to becoming a junkie and she mentions it multiple times that she wants to be a junkie mm-hmm. um but i remember making a vow to myself then and there that come hell or high water one day i was going to get into that bathroom such a kind of shitty goal in life she's trying to pull herself off as this kind of culture junkie yeah. well it starts in the very beginning where she's claiming to be you know lineage from right i mean a lot of people who have to escape their home country say that they're from royalty it does it does answer the question to how are you at all the parties with all the really rich folks early on when yeah. you're 17 years old and you're at a party with the rolling stones and andrew luke oldham mm-hmm. when they're already famous mm-hmm and you're not a groupie. That does answer that question. Yeah. She mentioned the guy that the Beatles song is about, that he blew his mind out in the car. Mm-hmm. And I looked him up, because I didn't know about this. And on Wikipedia, it calls him a socialite. Is that how you say it? Socialite? Yeah. yeah. Which I think is such a funny thing. Like, you hang out with rich people, right? That's what a socialite is? That's what Pretty you do. Much. That's all you do. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. get your own Wikipedia page. You go to parties and you hang out so you, with people. and yeah. That's because in America we don't have aristocracy. Except we do. It was, it was really frustrating to me how many people in her life that didn't do anything. Or let's, you know, spend the summer at my castle. And, and you can be completely broke and no longer of any prestige. But you were at one point. Let's take a break and listen to Belinda Davenport from Charles Young and his family of seven Davenport. Here's more for I heard some sad news. I heard you cut your mullet off. And now your marmot has left you. You are so cute together. You both had mullets.
had a mullet and a marmot. <laughs>
Do you think that she worked so hard at writing this and making it sound really intelligent and academic because she was pictured as a groupie, kind of the groupie of the 60s, I, I feel. I, if I think of people that are considered groupies, she's probably the first name that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I think generally when people think of groupies, they think of someone that's attractive, that's kind of an idiot, that just sleeps with famous people. Yeah. Because when I was reading it, I felt she was trying to prove something. I think her writing is really good, and I feel I would read more books by her. But there were moments where it, it was too much. It's like you're trying too hard. Self-gratifying the whole way through. Right. I agree with that yeah. because it seems like she started out at a party with the Rolling Stones, and then she knows everyone through every music scene that ever hit London. Mm-hmm. All the way through the Sex Pistols, she was hanging out with the people that were doing the fashion at Sex for McLaren and even beyond that. It yeah. just seemed to me, how is this one person so connected to every single piece of musical history in London? Yeah. She got around. It, but she doesn't want to make it sound like that. She wants to make it sound like she was on even footing with all of these people. That one story where she's in the filming of the Dylan Don't Look Back, the movie, the documentary, the D.A. Pennebreaker, she's across the room terrified of Dylan for days, right? I mean, she won't even approach him, but she knows that he wants her there. And it turns out that she says that and this is one of the funniest parts for me. She says, like, I didn't have sex with Dylan. And he, he comes out of the room and he tears up this piece of paper. And he goes, yeah. you're destroying my creative muse. No, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. That was my favorite part, though, that Dylan just threw a fit. Like yeah. A kid, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, know. Was, I have heard other stories of Dylan being a D-bag. Uh-huh. Oh, huh. definitely. What part made you the angriest in the Oh, jeez. No, you had I've, to pick one. I've got one for sure. I've got one for sure. Her loss of her pregnancy because she was anemic that kind of put a big bow on it for me of a representation of who she is as a person and that just really upset me especially as someone who has struggled with trying to start a family to have somebody be given a gift like that and then just throw it away because you'd rather go have fun i feel like that's the whole book is her having these great opportunities and once again time after time just being a brat and not really realizing how many chances she keeps getting textbook addict yeah Yeah. i i just was bothered by her willingness to be a victim throughout the book her kind of romanticization of being a victim I, i marked one part well one example brian jones overdoses so she has to try to kill herself right yeah the very next day what who are you what are you doing why do you need to die because he died yeah (laughs) the part that made me angriest was her kid is two three something one a few months old and it ends up staying home for a day or two by itself because the nanny something happened the nanny ran off yeah that she went out of town and left it with the nanny and the nanny like but there was something like she knew the nanny was shitty or there was something that was kind of questionable i forget what it was but she wasn't very apologetic about it and i assume if you're a kid and you're left alone for a day that 
even if you don't remember that, that's extremely traumatic. Yeah, I feel like it was like a one-sentence conclusion to that situation. Yeah, she wasn't apologetic about it. You know, you can go off and have all the fun in the world, but if somebody depends on you, you need to, you need to make sure that they're taken care of. And the father, how he just got completely shut out for like the first five years or so. While she is letting him get abandoned by nannies, he's got a dad that would be happy to take care of him. And if she would just let him be a part of his life, then I'm sure any of these times that she wanted to zip around the globe and leave the child with a nanny, dad would have been happy to be there, Mm -hmm. but she wouldn't let him. And there was no point in the book where I felt like there was ever a reason for her to treat him the way that she did. I think one of my favorite parts in this was learning that Keith Richards plays bass on most of the Stone Studio stuff yeah. and not Bill Wyman. And I always suspected that, that was... up until a certain point when, till the Stones made that disco record. You know, I always thought, that's Keith on bass. I just always kind of thought that. And she says that Keith plays bass on mostly all the Stones tracks because Wyman was never interested, you mm-hmm. know, in being in the Stones. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I did like how she mentioned random tidbits about how songs came about, how someone was playing this riff and then this happened and this chorus came in verse. And because all the songs she's mentioning are from my favorite albums. <laughs> and I've read a lot of Stone stuff and I didn't hear that kind of stuff. Do you guys think that she pushed her ex out the window? I think she made him jump. I don't think she oh, told definitely. him to jump, but I think I think she he probably jumped when she wasn't in the room, but I think she made it happen. Maybe I'm listening to too many true crime podcasts, but <laughs> the way that she talks about how it looks like a bunch of flowers the way that makes she me feel was like, like I, you know, at this point she slept with numerous rock stars, probably numerous people, and she's you with know dating this guy she met at Alcoholics Anonymous or what, whatever. And he's the best sex that she's ever had right before he kills himself. Yeah. Come on. That annoyed me as that well. That is not the dis- a real story. Yeah. The discussion about the beautiful flowers yeah. at the bottom of the 36th Magnolias, floor. Magnolias, I thought, I thought. Ridiculous. Yeah. And I feel like if someone opened the window that high up and climbed out to jump out, you kind of hear that. You absolutely would because there's much, much higher winds high up. She's just like, yeah, I broke up with him and then I walked around the house for a little while and a few hours later I was like, oh, what's what's Hank doing? I'll go check on him. Oh my God, the window's open. He's down there dead. He jumped out the... Come on. Well, and that she just happened to see him before ambulances had arrived, before anybody's knocking on her window. I mean, knocking on her door. Uh, before any thing has happened to make her realize that there's a problem she just happens to notice it well that's a busy enough area i think we should do a podcast trying to figure out what really happened we'll interview everyone Ooh, that's what we should do we should do (laughs) musicians true crime my favorite marianne faithful murder (laughs) i was surprised at how many acting roles and how much recording she did yes i was very Mm. surprised at that because i kind of thought it was oh well here's a you know, this little tertiary pop star from the 60s I'm interested in reading about because they it's connected to one of my favorite bands of all time. I had no idea 
how much stuff she had done until mm-hmm. reading this. It's like the the Oprah magazine when it first came out. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. I've taken a lot of drugs, and I can't remember shit from it. All right. Where they're like, there's not really lesbians. I just sometimes hang out with my friend that's a girl, and I'm a girl, and sometimes we cuddle and massage each other and kind of come sometimes. Kiss and <laughs> she gives me a massage, and then I come, and then I give her a massage, and she comes, and then we cuddle for a while. You're late for the orgy again. Mick knew that Keith could hear him in the next room. So he was fucking with Keith. He was just like, you know what I'd like to do is really lick Keith from head to toe. And, you know? (laughs) You gotta go to the doctor and get an orgasm so you'll calm the fuck down because you're being an obnoxious bitch right now. I'm no gynecologist. I'll take a look. <laughs> How did your hand get tired? Well, because all night you're diddling clits. Joe, is there a dildo museum somewhere in the world? I'm in room 606, baby. Are you saying you want to fuck Joe? More, more than once I've said that. Do you guys listen to any of her music ever? While reading the book, I was listening to like her Spotify station. Why'd You Do It is a pretty amazing song. Mm -hmm. I am blown away by how early it came out. That song is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really good. What do you guys think about her early music, though? Wimpy. Chambery. Yeah. I'm not, I don't find it that inspiring. Somebody handed her something and told her to sing it. It Basically, right? It wasn't anything she cared about. It was obvious she didn't care about it. There's these hit makers that just go, dress like this, here's a song, it's going to be a hit. You the know. Disney pop stars. Yeah. The ones that are groomed from a young age to yep. become something. Yeah. yeah. I pulled up the, I didn't know that she sang As Tears Go By mm-hmm. until we started this. Actually, before we started it, and you had told me that, John. Yeah. And uh, But I pulled it up on YouTube, and I could not imagine a less inspired performance. Yeah. She looks like she's about to either fall asleep or maybe sneeze. The whole time. <laughs> go back and watch the video of the performance of As Tears Go By when I guess it was Top of the Pops or probably Top of the Pops. I yeah. can't remember. She literally was wearing a taffeta dress and her arms were crossed and she was looking down the whole time. It and why were they crossed? Lack of performance. Did she not show her breasts? Uh, we don't know. Uh, we're not sure. Oh, gotcha. We don't know. It just that, <laughs> that would be really funny if they're like, your breasts are... are too beautiful and big you need to cover them with your yes. arms cross your arms 
Crossing. We don't. No one wants to see giant tits. And she does like a Jim Morrison thing at the end. She just moves her hand so you can see him, her arms. I think it's pretty cool though to see what British pop was like at the time. That's one really good thing about the book is that it kind of shows us the time period in England, what the music scene was like. Mm-hmm. It it did feel like the most boring '60s music I've heard in a very long time. And it changes a lot over the recordings i mean she goes from like this very light airy voice to i mean you know a drug uh addled one later on that record came out in 79 broken english and um i've owned it forever it's been in my collection i was telling scott on the way here i picked it up for three dollars somewhere never (laughs) ever even took it out of the, the the sleeve Uh, until I started reading this book and um, I like it a lot it's timely it's like it fits perfect with what's happening in the lower east side music scene in 76 and 77 so she's still a couple years late on that but I think I love that record I think it's really good now that I've listened to it well it's probably her best effort that stood the test of time and was original vegan probiotic health shake (laughs) just like the devil drinks (laughs) (laughs) what do you what'd you guys think about the sister morphine part that was one one of my favorite parts she's like i just got sick of hearing mick play that with nothing else yeah i frankly think that's awesome the collaborative approach to music to me is what's Mm -hmm. very exciting about music so to hear that that was going on was cool to me it's a great song too, and they mention in the book that she's not credited. Yeah, and I read liner notes not a lot. I don't know if the one I have currently says that if credits her or not, or if there's a dispute between the Rolling Stones. I've never heard it either way. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they, they didn't credit her is is pretty lame. And yeah. she mentioned that she got paid for it and all that kind of stuff. But still, it's it's pretty lame. And the fact that she recorded it years earlier Mm -hmm. and they're like sorry you can't you know this is too much and then a male does it women can't say that which is a perfect example of there's a cocaine and rhinestones episode that's all about women and how more of women's songs are banned than men Mm -hmm. women can't talk about being on the pill or this kind of stuff but a man can talk about beating his wife and doing all these things and it was a perfect example of that i mean times really hadn't changed too much in what was it two years three years after she sang it well that was probably very much the same era that you're talking about when loretta lynn sang the pill yeah but yeah i mean i you you totally stole my tangent damn it Mm, cocaine rhinestones about that exactly is just like she got banned for singing something that it was no problem for a male voice and exactly like you know, Loretta Lynn got banned for talking about the pill and there were 20 other songs by men similar to getting someone pregnant and leaving, which is no problem. Right. And and to me, the the song isn't that bad. I mean, I, I don't I don't feel like even then it should have been considered. I just think it's kind of silly. Jump in, Deb. What were you going to say? I was going to bring up something that was uh, actually uh, totally not in the right timeline, so I was completely wrong. The song God Didn't Make Honky Tonk Angels. 
was about ten years earlier. It, yeah, it was ten years earlier, but it was it was a it was a female response to a man's song about loose women being the problem in his life, and she was like, uh, "Well, you're you're wrong. We have our own side of the story too." Well, men would never cheat if women didn't just throw their tits at them. Oh well, <laughs> right? Did you see what she was wearing. Yes. <laughs> I do think the the lyrics to Sister Morphine are good. I think she has great potential as a a songwriter and it's weird that Absolutely. She's sitting here covering songs and they're so boring but she's, But she has her she, own voice. To me reading it, I can totally see how she would be amused if you're 1920 and you're writing songs and there's this young beautiful girl that knows all this great stuff about all these great books and things that I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Just reading it, I was like, ooh, I'd like to write a song about that or this or whatever. I mean, I think I can totally see how she was a muse. And I think she was. An experience collector, too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I kind of see her as like the the beat writers. There's Allen Ginsberg, and I want to know him, and I want to be seen with him. Or um, some of the Grateful Dead members come over like uh, Owsley and Pigpen, and they bring some acid with them. And she's like, okay, I want to hang with these guys. Like anybody who had any kind of countercultural reputation, she's just immediately drawn to, you know? So she's just kind of this scene hopper. And that's what interested me most about the book is the other people, not her. And Mm -hmm. that's almost kind of like her life in some (laughs) ways, you know? I mean... Who she was with, very interesting, you know, and, you know, who she was able to meet. But like we said, you know, maybe killed her husband, bad mother, bad daughter. I mean. Yeah, it feels like uh, her story kind of feels like Forrest Gump (laughs) in the way that if Forrest Gump didn't have his own story, he was just a tourist through the time period. Because so much of Forrest Gump isn't his own life. It's all these little things that happen to him, and he experiences the Vietnam War, and and he goes and he, he and he, he lives on a fishing boat and or shrimp boat, <laughs> shrimp boat, should not say fishing boat, but yeah, he he experiences all these things, but then he also has his own story, and this doesn't feel like she really has her own story for a lot of it. I love that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of a Forrest Gump. Life quote. is a box of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you get a Mandrix. Sometimes, sometimes you get a Twalib, whatever the hell that was. <laughs> he was mentally disabled by birth, and she was mentally disabled by choice. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I like the part where she meets Madonna. Oh, yeah. And uh, just looking and how at she got she hungry a, at the end. She had a gym in her bathroom. Yeah, because Madonna's, Madonna's bathroom was as big as this room. She said, everything she did was strange. She was wearing lingerie, and I thought, dear God. But the funniest thing was her kitchen. There was a magazine rack like the ones you see in a dentist's office. But all the magazines on it had her picture on them. That's awesome. Well, it's like the the Oprah magazine when it first came out. Oh. Yeah. Oh. 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 When it first came out, and they were and they had announced like Oprah is going to be on the cover of every single issue, people were like, what sort of narcissistic bullshit is that? And yet it is continuing to be printed. That is many years ago. It is it is maybe not as sold as um, 
the uh, garbage rags and people, uh, but it is definitely up there, and it is mind-blowing to me that somebody can get away with that kind of shit. Because <laughs> they're famous. I wonder, though, when I was... when I, This is a thought I had when I was reading it. I'm like, okay, so she's been a junkie for, you know, decades, and here she is with these very vivid memories that, yeah, of that really uh, specific me. things. And I'm just like, well, I've, t- I've taken a lot of drugs mm-hmm. and, and I can't remember shit from it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and here she is. And she's been, you know, and those are these are like totally mind numbing uh, drugs. Yeah. She's yeah and exactly. she has quotes. And I'm just like, she's quoting people. I'm just Right. Exactly. And I'm just like, wait a second. How can she? I can't remember a lot of stuff past 10th grade personally, you know, and she's yeah. got like all these details, you know, like Bob Dylan said this to me exactly, you know, and this is in like 65 or 66. And she's mm-hmm. she's writing about this one. Is and this especially like these the are 80s, all right? these are happening so, at, at parties. It's not yeah. just that these are conversations that are happening between drug use. Yeah, it's that she is actively very, very high when this situation is happening. Yeah. And yet she can remember word for word what really happened. Really good, yeah. So I think a lot of this is constructed memory, which is, uh, you know, that's what we do when we remember things. It's like, I don't remember exactly the gist of the conversation, mm-hmm. but I think it, it went like this. Yeah. I also noticed she had, if you didn't know, like certain song lyrics, you would think that this is just her writing, but I noted Dylan's song lyrics that were not acknowledged all through the whole book. Something that I thought was really interesting was the idea that everyone's, and she kind of mentions this, everyone's kind of in an open relationship and that you do whatever you want whenever you want, but then everyone's getting jealous of everyone doing whatever they want, Mm -hmm. but no one talks about it, which to me it seems like if you're going to have this open relationship and everyone can just have sex with everyone that you're kind of doing it because you want to feel intimacy with that person Mm -hmm. and be able to just not feel judged and do whatever you want when really it had the opposite effect. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Everyone was unhappy and jealous, Yeah, but everyone was fucking around. Well, I felt like her reaction to, cheating was very unfair where she was able to cheat but when the other person did it she flew into a wild rage and one thing that really bothered me was her having a girlfriend that she was banging and that she doesn't really feel is cheating I actually had a friend that this happened to where his girlfriend cheated on him with a girl and she was like but I was drunk and it was a girl my ex used to do that and try and tell you that it's not that it's not the same thing well because I'm not gay I just had sex with her well what what if you had sex with a man that would be worse I think that's kind of similar to the people I know from like cultures where they're really homophobic mm-hmm. where they're like, there's not really lesbians. I just sometimes hang out with my friend. That's a girl and I'm a girl. And sometimes we, we cuddle and massage each other and kind of come sometimes. Kiss and <laughs> <laughs> She gives me a massage and then I come and then I give her a massage and she comes but and we cuddle suck, for a while, but... <laughs> but it's not gay. 
I love the part in here where she has sex with, with Keith, you know. And after they have sex, he's like, he's pulling on his boots and she's trying to cuddle up to him. And he's he's like, like, oh, it's so magical. He's like, "Uh, you know who really likes you? Mick. (laughs) (laughs) This was great and all, but I don't need to call Mick. Mick likes you a lot. That was a good shag. But (laughs) I think Keith was like, Mick's a head case. She's a head case. I'm blossoming into a head case. I don't really need this. I need mm-hmm. to just focus on myself becoming a head case yeah. and not like worry about her and certainly not about Mick. But I laughed out loud at that part where, you know, she's just like calling him darling and stuff, you know, and says, you know, I'm fluttering around in a state of absolute rapture. He's such this rebel that wears boots yeah, and right. he wanted me to fuck his best friend. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Well, that reminds me of my other favorite part. You were talking about how it seemed like she was really nice to Mick in this book. To me, there was a few parts where I was like, there's no way in hell Mick would allow this. And the the one part was they're making love and he starts yelling Keith's name or something or... Right, I I remember that part as well. Because he's he's in the other "Mm -hmm." room, right? You you know what would be great right now? I wish Keith was here and I would lick his entire body and suck his cock. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Mick would ever admit to that, personally. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, I really like the storyline of know. them, of the two of them having uh, friends that were another couple, and that the guy was very prudish, but the girl was really fun, and that Mick would be in the kitchen cooking when the guy came home, and he would yell, Oh, shit, he's here. Put your clothes on. And that he would walk in and then the two girls would jump under the covers and start tossing them around like they were banging. And that he was such a gentleman that he was just like. Right. You're late for the orgy again. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. The scene that you just talked about, Scott, didn't didn't Marianne present it? Mick knew that Keith could hear him in the next room. Yeah. So he was fucking with Keith. He was just like, you know what I'd like to do is really lick Keith from head to toe. And <laughs> you know, <laughs> she, I mean, there was a lot of insinuating about hopeful homosexual relationship between the two of them or like a bisexual relationship of the three of them. Definitely. And that, that Mick was always in love with Keith, but was never going to let it be. Right. Well, I've, I've never been near any of those people at all, but it is very obvious from a zillion miles away that the primary relationship in those two people's life is Keith and Mick. Yep. <laughs> and anyone else is playing second seat. Yeah. Yeah. I think the most annoying thing to me in this entire book is it paints a very sparkly perspective of being a junkie. It's yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's like the Mr. Clean version of cleaning your bathroom. It's mm-hmm. like the sparkles in the commercial. It has no one scrubbing shit off the floor. Yeah. No, the uh, the couple of years of her living on quote the wall and how she preferred it. Yeah. She said she, she liked it. Had looked she's... forward to it. It was a goal. And and that's where she ended up in shit. And it's not very easy to live on the streets in a place like England where it freezes every winter fully for a couple of months. There's nothing magical about that. And 
Oh, God, when she cut her face? That seemed to be glossed over as well. I mean, if she lived on the wall... <laughs> I had that same question. I was like, can't be that... You can't be so high that the elements are not affecting you. I yes. mean, you're... you're you know, you're going to freeze to death if you're living on a wall, no matter how high you are. It happens in Russia really yeah. often that, that people like fall asleep in alleyways. Mm -hmm. She had so many people trying to pick her up. Or the, the, the friend that found her in the upstairs bathtub. So her friend took her in when she shouldn't have. The friend who had children. Mm -hmm. And uh, she came home to find her in a too hot bathtub. So she was like burnt. And tried to pull, the, and and the tub was overflowing down the stairs. That's right. And she tried to pull the plug and um, slipped and fell and hit her head on the bidet, not the toilet, the bidet. <laughs> That's a way to die. Knocked herself out, and at that point she had ruined the floor in the bathroom, all the way down the stairs and the entryway. Destroyed this house. Yeah. I don't give a fuck about anything. I agree with you, John. There's a. There's a lot of things that sound like they're not true. Uh huh. Early on, I kind of get an idea that she doesn't make the best of decisions and she's not the most reliable narrator. So reading it, I kind of just kept that in mind. And I, I actually enjoyed her perspective and I don't believe most of not I shouldn't say most. I think I think she said enough embarrassing things in here that, you know, she she seemed pretty upfront about being promiscuous, which when this book came out it it wasn't necessarily cool to do that as a woman. Mm -hmm. And I give her kudos for that. But I agree with you. I think there's a lot that probably isn't true. I wonder if she kept like detailed journals and diaries for a while when she was first making the scene and meeting all these famous people. I mean, it could be that she was writing about, you know, what was going on in her life then. I mean, after a while, I don't see how she could keep that up because of her drug habits, but she might have kept a pretty detailed account of her life, especially as a teenager. She's a she's a total literary character in this. That's yeah, great. You know, I mean, she's a, she's like the narrator. She's like the protagonist. She she hits all the right notes in terms of literary references. I think, like I'm, I, you know, I, I I noted some of the authors that she mentioned or books. Like she's really into Blake and or Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man was something that influenced her. Which this book is deeply based on. Like structurally, it's just like that James Joyce book. Picture of Dorian Gray, she mentions a lot, which I haven't read. Uh, French author Celine, who the beat writers were really into, uh, who is an experimental writer. So she's, to me, she's like putting herself among these works. You know, she's just like, okay, you know, this is kind of my life is worthy of this type of, you know, fictionalizing memoir mix. It's. You know, she's got has very high standards, I think, as a, a writer, definitely. Do you think if she wrote a fictional piece of work that you guys would want to read it? I don't want to read anything by her anymore. <laughs> I, 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 I think she did write a fictional piece of work and I read it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. If she admitted that it was fiction and it wasn't about herself, I think that it would be very good. I I mean, regardless of what I think of her as a human, I I wasn't bored reading this. And I would read stuff and be like, mm, I don't know if that's true, or mm, I think you forgot something. 
But either way, it evokes some emotion. I wasn't, I didn't read pages and be like, oh, what the hell did I just read? Even the things that were less exciting, I liked her style of writing. With I Shithead, I kind of at times felt like it was just a list of accomplishments. It felt episodical. This felt more like a long going story. It really got me when her boyfriend jumped. That scene was, was pretty powerful if you believe her. And if you don't, it's still powerful to see a person who victimizes themselves side of that kind of situation. That was that was a pretty well written piece. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the part where at the beginning she talks about her grandfather, Theodore Faithful, who was a sexologist. <laughs> which what year was that? Nineteen hundred probably. Yeah. A sexologist. That's super intriguing to me because you know he was probably looked down upon and he had invented a contrivance contrivance called the frigidity machine and it's, it's a vibrator it says it would unblock <laughs> the primal libidinal energy vibrator. and a new golden age uh would be set free so at the turn of the century and early on with electricity there was also this other mindset going on with the fact that men in particular thought that craziness in women was caused by the womb, which mm-hmm. is hence the the term of a hysterectomy, takes out the hysteria. And yeah. one way to one way to, you know, help that along is, you know, create these giant electrical advices devices that create orgasms. Also known today as a dildo or a vibrator, <laughs> which a sexologist like this gentleman, that's exactly what I is thought. Is that I what know. the f- machine is? That's a like... very, it's what it sounded like to me when I read it. The name sounds opposite. A frigidity? It, is it to yeah, get rid but of But it frigidity? increases libido, even though he says it differently. Okay. Sorry. So it's getting rid of frigidity must be. Right. Anti-frigidity yes. machine. Yeah. yeah. No, you used to be able to get uh, orgasms prescribed by your doctor, and you had to go to the doctor, get up in the stirrups, and have him perform an orgasm on you. No. Yes. Yeah. No. With yes. No. Yes. 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 Huh? Medical it, device which during was the days of hysteria. In. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go to the doctor and get an orgasm so you'll calm the fuck down because you're being an obnoxious bitch right now. Right. You need to go to the doctor. Okay. <laughs> well, it's how, how, how hard would that be for you to say, okay? No, for me, it would not be because I, I don't want to be put in stirrups in a medical gown and have somebody perform an <laughs> orgasm on me. But do you I think that... I do it in my bedroom with my lover, not, not right, have right. my doctor do not it Not so sterile. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I imagine, too, at the time when... Your only your husband and your doctor. What year was this? Above the knee. In the 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 aught years. Yeah. Last century. Okay. How even even the even the Catholic Church prescribed, you know, clitoral massage for releasing frustration. Early Sears catalogs. It's Victorian era. It's like late Victorian era then. Yeah. Early Sears catalogs sold vibrators, plug-in vibrators for calming hysteria. And for relieving the nerves of a woman. Not just for breakfast anymore. But that, <laughs> that to me is a little different than, I mean, they're, they're so religious and so uptight about stuff. The fact that they would let someone else take care of that just seems. Well, it's a medical it's, need that you have to fix. It's, that's how you get hooked on pills when you're a country musician. The doctor Did they gave think it, to it was not right. connected to 
intercourse? No, it's Uppers. not intercourse. Then you need the downers. It's not you intercourse. You've been up too long. You should the... take s- some sleep. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure that that whole thing was just a pervy doctor being like, I want to l- touch all these women and I need a reason. I'm no gynecologist, but I'll take a look. <laughs> That's why I'll never trust a male gynecologist. It is the the gynecologists that I've met that are men. They seem really gross to me, <laughs> and you know that they talk about everything to their buddies. Oh, I'm sure of it. Something else I found interesting was she mentions I'd heard she speaking of her mom had an incest incestuous relationship with her brother for instance and i wanted to know how that had affected her and her mom wouldn't talk about it sorry i just got some information from our uh, our researcher here um (laughs) apparently the vibrators were invented because the doctor's hands got tired huh (laughs) so that's pretty amazing how would your hand get tired well because all night you're diddling clits and and of course that's like my dream <laughs> Until you're paid for it. Me out here, I'm getting tired. I mean, yeah. there's two hands. You just take, go back and I don't, forth. Wax I'm on, wax off. I couldn't do it with my left hand if somebody paid me. Um, who invented the dildo? That's a good question. Is there Mr. a black and Mr. white photo dildo. of like someone like Thomas Edison standing uh, I've, next to? I have read in my research. <laughs> <laughs> that the dildo goes back very, very far in history, and ancient civilizations have like early ceramics. And Joe, is there a dildo museum somewhere in the world? There, there actually, is. There's in Japan. There's the dildo. Yeah, there's like the fertility festival. Well, there's Korea the dildo has one too. Park in Korea. But um, yeah, the, that that's in. I'm pretty sure you're right that that one's in Korea. But in Japan, there's a uh, fertility festival where there's uh, dick shaped. Everything dip shaped, dick shaped candy, dick shaped pastries, dick shaped toys, and then there are these huge, massive dicks that they like carry through the streets that are like big trees that they've carved into dicks. And then there's the shrine that's just, just nothing but dicks, and you like put flowers on them, and you like touch the dicks, and you kiss the dicks, and you like pray to the dicks to get pregnant. Like women who are trying to have children go and like rub the wooden and 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 rock dicks to like get pregnant why is why isn't that in a marianne faithful experience you would seem like that would be of all the experience collections that they were looking for (laughs) and there's more research coming in oh geez 100 years ago the vibrator was invented to relieve doctors whose fingers were frequently cramped from treating quote-unquote hysteria in female patients this is Afterwards, insane to me. You have never heard this. I no, haven't either. No, me either. No, the, the whole Sears... Thank you, researcher. Uh, the whole Sears catalog thing where you could get a dildo uh, through the Sears catalog... Sorry, not a dildo, but a vibrator was that the doctor was already prescribing this treatment for you. And if you got it through the Sears catalog, you were buying a medical appliance to help you deal with your unbalanced humors the original mother's little helper yeah Mm -hmm. before the pills (laughs) you've never heard that you've never heard of hysteria medical prescriptions i haven't heard of the doctor induced orgasm but i have heard of the hysteria related to hysterectomy and having your womb out out. sure yeah definitely 
but no, not the doctor-induced yeah. orgasms. Yeah. No, isn't and there a documentary think about, about my mom's doctor growing up, our family doctor, and it just kind of is just <laughs> so strange to think. I'm just All like, of a sudden. for some reason, my like no, my normal doctor, um, which is not supposed to do like gynecological stuff, I imagine. Those beds all have stirrups, and I'm always very curious as to why my general practitioner needs stirrups. He's like, I'll th- I'll throw it in for free. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just I'll take a look if you want me to. Free of charge. <laughs> I'm saving you like three hundred bucks. Ear, nose, and throat visit into the stirrups. Ear, nose, and vagina. I do want to bring up the uh, Roy Orbison episode. I thought that was so funny. She's like, "Hi, Roy. How's it going?" I'm in room 606, baby. And that's it. And he, just like, <laughs> he just like walks by. And that's it. That's like the whole. My expectation the, is you will be joining me in room 606. That's hilarious, though. But she like, you know, she sleeps with Gene Pitney, you know, and then Roy's like, my turn. And it's like, nope, I guess not. So a man, a few words. I, I did appreciate how she phonetically spelled most of the slang. Uh huh. Yeah, like yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah. In the- British people can tell you what street you were born on mm-hmm. based on the way you talk. Mm-hmm. And the way that she spells it out, I thought was really adorable. Uh-huh. I liked little tidbits like this. So she says Brian's bus was the work of the infamous detective sergeant Norman Pilcher, the Semolina Sim- Pilcher in John Lennon's I Am a Walrus. Uh, and then she goes on to talk about this infamous detective. But I just like stuff like that because I'd never thought twice about where that came from. Or, uh-huh. And I've read a lot of Beatles stuff that never mentioned that, too. Right. So one thing she said there at least twice was that Mick wanted to be John Lennon. Right. Yeah. I'd never heard that he wanted to be John Lennon. Yeah. Was that new to anyone? Do you, do you think it's like fair to, to think of it this way? Like Mick is kind of bubblegum at that time and john lennon has some pretty significant substance as a songwriter Does he? i think so i mean during that time period i think so definitely you know compared to like when the stone started out mick was kind of a school he had the schoolboy thing going yeah john became kind of a heavy pretty quickly i think in terms of the the material that he started to write so maybe it was a credibility thing maybe she built it up more than it was but i can see mick wanting to be taken more seriously at a certain point in the 60s than he was and john lennon was really taken pretty seriously you know i mean by the press what time did she say this what Part of his career mid 60s yes being obsessed with music and reading about my favorite bands favorite bands what i've learned is there'll be an interview with some musician i like when they're 19 about how they love this band and how they think they're the greatest and then two or three years later they change their opinion on that or that was just who they were into at the time or they think of 80 other musicians the same way I think at that point the Beatles were the first to kind of go in their own direction and do less covers and I think that's what Mick saw that he wanted to do is he wanted to head in that direction that's exactly what he did and there's a a few years there where he's kind of following the Beatles and then after that he's kind of following these other bands from the states that makes sense because generally when you read about 
<clears throat> Mick and Keith and the music they were into, it's pretty much all black artists. And during the 60s yeah. and then 70s, it kind of changes. And by the 80s, you know, they're mentioning pop artists and stuff that they like. But Right. Yeah. It's, it's clear that they were constantly listening to and aware of what was popular. Because mm-hmm. yeah, like I said, their Satanic Majesty's Request. Isn't I that, think it's is, great. Isn't that their Sergeant I, I, Pepper? I'm, isn't I'm not that saying it's bad. It came out right after Sergeant Pepper. Right, I'm okay, not saying yeah. it's bad. It's just, it's just a clear reflection. It's yeah. not... I wouldn't call that album original. Well, then they made those country records, right? I mean, there's a little Graham Parsons stuff in here. But I had no idea Graham Parsons played with them. Oh, they sought him out. Keith wanted a... What's that steel guitar you have, the American? No, what's that metal guitar you yes, have? Yes, National. National, yeah. So Keith wanted a National really badly, and somebody cooked him up with Graham when they were in L.A., and Graham like got him a really nice one. And then Mick and Keith wanted Graham to show them how to play country western. And so that's how they hooked up with him. But he was playing with them a lot during the Let It Bleed sessions. Yeah. And they were junk, and, and Keith and he were junkies together. Yeah, I think that the Beatles and the Stones were kind of, you know, the same with uh, the Beach Boys. It was like the Beatles made this album. The Beach Boys tried to make an album better than that and take influence from that. And then the Beatles try to copy the the beach boys it, it seemed like that was going on a lot with musicians then because everything mm-hmm. was new and people were instantly taking influence on something new that had come out well there were three stations mm-hmm. yeah it's, not a lot to listen to what was this does anybody remember this scene where maybe she's at mix she's at somebody's mansion and this drunk band shows up to jam it, it was it like the, the faces. small faces the no. faces was yeah small faces or, or a bachelorette episode yeah <laughs> a drunken band has showed up on the beach i loved how they were characterized though she was just like these drunken lads who are just all about you know jamming and they show up and they just want to play music and like party and they ruin the night yeah that's how i picture the the faces the small faces i mean those guys were just blasted out of their minds all the time i liked a lot of the little and i kind of might have mentioned this but the the little moments where she just br- briefly mentions i was hanging out with so and so when we threw on this record it's kind of interesting to hear a lot of my favorite musicians listen to this record or thinking oh this is maybe the fifth time they've heard this record and they took influence by the way this sounded or that sounded. Because I feel like today a lot of artists that you hear about that are popular, it doesn't seem magical that they're listening to some album that we've all heard a million times. It, it kind of reminds me of like when I was younger, a friend would buy the record, you know, like I just bought X record. You got to come over and listen to it, you know, and I don't know how much that really happens anymore. You know, oh, absolutely where, not. No, you send where, somebody a text message. Yeah, you know. And, and but it, listen to but it used headset. to be like, you know, yeah. you'd you'd be like, oh, so-and-so, you know, has the new, you know, Ultravox record. And, oh, cool. I First, I want to tape it from him, right, yeah. as soon as I can. And, and usually the person would have to hold on to the record for at least a week before they'd give it up for you to, like, you know, tape. But the other option was you'd go over to that person's bedroom and you'd listen to the record with them and talk about the record, you know, while you were listening to it. And that was really, I think, a cool hands-on 
experience and that's obviously what they were doing with like every new release that was coming out at the time no one's saying hey great come on in let's check out the new drake album in the bedroom right (laughs) (laughs) and play it over and over the new Nicki minaj it is weird to think though that you could invite a friend to come to your house to drive all the way over just and you just sit there and you enjoy a new album and look at the cover Whereas now, I can send my friend a YouTube video that's a minute and a half, and a year later, I'll be like, did you ever listen to that minute and a half video? I didn't have time to get around to it. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's how different yeah. things have gotten. <laughs> I think in some ways, like listening to records like we were talking about, like going over to a, to a friend's house... It, it was the closest thing you could do to like go and see that band in concert at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the Pretenders were not on tour and they got a new record out, they're not going to be around for a year. You're with friends listening to the Pretenders record, you know, yeah. on your boombox. Or you're excited about it. You, then you have the live album also replacing the live experience. And there are like these kind of group activities, whereas now music to me is more for solitary listening it seems more for personal you know listening back to the dylan though i I did think that was pretty narcissistic of dylan to play his own record and analyze absolutely not to say that he's not i kind of picture dylan as being crazy and i'm not really surprised by a lot of what he does but i almost feel like dylan would be the kind of person where he would record an album and never listen to it again for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just especially being as prolific as he was. Mm-hmm. I thought that was funny. What'd you guys think about, forget her na- last name, Anita Pallenberg? Is that the one she mentions the whole time? Isn't that Keith's? Yeah. It's Keith's main squeeze, right? It seemed, mm-hmm. of all the people, it seemed well, like she the she was the one that she never said anything negative never about. Like, negative right? Word, it seemed yeah. to me like they were more friends the time this book was written. Yeah. And sometimes we did drugs together and she'd get a little bit too into it. But other than that, everything was great. Dave, your cat loves art. <laughs> yeah. It's just staring at it. Trying to figure out the uh, point of that what flower. Does, yeah, what does this mean? Is this postmodern? He's a big street art fan. So she mentioned a lot of acting roles she was in. She seemed not too proud of most of that. So you know that it's got to be awful i really want to just see clips of just a little bit of each like movie she did because it sounded like it was pretty bad well i feel like i've seen the one with mick i don't remember it but what was the one with mick do you remember the title the one that was supposed to be like a representation of his life yeah Mm, okay and once again it was it was like she got that role because she was attractive Mm yeah and a socialite Yeah. yeah and lots of times because she was famous i mean if she was you know 700 pounds and poor we wouldn't be reading this right now right god after her and mick broke up and then like she gained a bunch of weight i looked up how much she weighed at that time and how much weight she gained it was i mean okay so the british they, they speak in stones stones yeah or kilos right? really frustrating because no, you only re- the only time you they ever speak in rolling stones in stones <laughs> Is when you're referring to a person's weight. They're like, please meet you. That's a whole other thing that you know. But no, she she was still of a relatively healthy weight. It's just that she wasn't a friggin' 
anorexic. I mean, when her freaking jaw breaks. Yeah. And I mean, that's from drug use, but the main reason there is because of lack of nutrients from not eating. But that is, if you're an addict, that's a big part of, of healing is you need to heal that too. I mean, they say that, you know, a girl is thin when you can see her collarbones and sick when they're dipping. I've never heard that. Hollow-eyed. Girls check out their collarbones a lot. Oh, yeah. No, it's a big deal, yeah. too, if you're trying to be thin to mm-hmm. have, have good collarbones. Mm-hmm. That's one of those That's one of those goals, like thigh gap. Right. So do you think sleeping with three Rolling Stones is that great of a feat, or do you think numerous Oh, I'm sure many, that? many ladies can, can, can claim that. She had a pretty significant relationship with Mick, right? But if we're just talking about... The fact that she banged three... Quantity. Quantity. Uh-huh. Quantity of stones. How many stones? Pamela DeBar has her beat. You Who? know, Pamela DeBar. I'm Who's that? I'm with the band, the the famous LA groupie. Mm. Yeah. Pamela DeBar. She's like slept with everybody. She was like in this group called a GTO Girls Together Outrageously, and these were these like LA groupies who were like always just anyone came to town. They're at the hotel, they're feeding them, they're having sex with them. And actually, I'd like to read her memoir, but if we're talking about impressiveness in terms of like sleeping with the Rolling Stones or whoever, I think Pamela DeBarsis, she's got everybody beats. When I was in college and I was in a band, if one of my bandmates had a crush on someone or whatever, that person was off limits. Not me. Well, yeah, but you don't have panties getting thrown at you. <laughs> So I shouldn't be calling Sarah. Definitely not me. Yeah, if you're in the band, you're yeah, you're not allowed to. And Joe's off limits too, Am I? Deb. Well, depends. If I'm allowed to watch. Okay. My, Wait, am I allowed want... to go after Sarah? No. Ah, oh, shit. In my early band days, can we I all kinda, watch? <laughs> I kind of just had sure. this attitude, like, oh, well, so and so already slept with Rob, so. Well, I sleep with her too you know I mean it wasn't kind of a competitive thing it was just yeah I'd like to sleep with her if I get a chance and then there would be the chance and I would sleep with her after another band member had already slept with her Hmm. that seemed pretty normal to me the reason you like people is because you have things in common so it's not strange to me like oh well I think Joe is hot too Deb (laughs) (laughs) are you saying you want to fuck Joe yeah, he is. More more than once I've said that. Yeah, he is. Did you not pick it's up not the first time earlier? Outright. He's saying he wants to bang my husband. Yep, yeah, I'm okay with it. There's this guy that I met when I was in the military that was like, <laughs> when I break up with my girlfriend, you do too. Talking about his friends. I just thought that was funny that he said that. <laughs> well, what's the difference between a hippie and a punk? What? Hippies don't hate punks. <laughs> That's a good one. Somebody, uh, <laughs> somebody at the Ween. He, he didn't really see. That didn't seem very. Uh... Someone at the Ween concert walked up to me and said, "What's the difference between a uh, hard rock and jam rock?" <laughs> Trying to think about it, and then I was like, "I don't know. What is it?" I thought there was a punchline or something, and he was really asking me what the difference was, and I was just like, "Oh, that was a real question." Were you guys surprised that she? made such boring music in the 60s she was well read she knew about hip music she knew all these things but the music she was making she would easily compromise on that which didn't seem like how she was 
otherwise. Because I could understand doing a single or one album, but she did she did a decent amount of work that was just totally boring. <gasps> Your cat just cut him off. Do you think she's an original? I mean, do you think she's an original artist? I, I think she had a couple of songs that she wrote. I think that that Sister Morphine sure. is a great song that yeah, she wrote. Definitely. I think that everything else was luck. Mm-hmm. Luck and tits. She does seem very similar yeah. to Nico. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I first heard Nico, I was like, who is this? I mm-hmm. mean, so she sounded so interesting. But then when I've read stuff about her, it seemed very blah. And... She's beautiful. She can sing in a way that's original. Like she, only she sings that way. Right. I think she has a lot more layers than Nico. I think she's smarter. I don't know. A lot she has more people. potential. I can't sense any real specialness as a quality to her as an artist. Um, she's got a good immune system. Yes. Right. Like you said earlier, it wasn't necessarily a Marianne faithful story, just a story about the scene, and she was fortunate to be part of. Mm-hmm. Yep, she was uh, Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> she was a she was a big-breasted, drug-fervored. Was she big-breasted? The first time I ever heard about her, or really paid attention, it quoted someone in the Stones, or it was Andrew Lugolidum. Maybe who yeah. Said, She's an angel with big tits. Okay. Yeah. I gotcha. And that they had written a lot of songs about her uh-huh. in the songs. And to me, hearing any band that writes a lot of songs that are influenced or inspired or whatever by one person to me is very interesting. Is she like a more literate Courtney Love? Oh, That's God, the worst no. thing you I could hope, say about. I hope not. We mention okay. Courtney Love every time. Did he write any songs about Courtney Love? Michael Stipe? No. Mick Jagger. <laughs> Keith. Marianne Faithful. We're talking about Keith, obviously, right? No, uh, Kurt. Do you think he wrote any songs about? Definitely. Courtney Love. Sure. Heart shaped box is supposed to be about. I this think Hank Williams wrote all his songs about. Box Courtney of heroin Love. that she used to keep tar heroin in this heart shaped box. Oh, all apologies. That, what's that one song like? Married, buried. Yeah. That might be about her. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think so, but I, I I feel like he was pretty much in love with her by the time that album came out. What's so crazy? Is that you know that had he lived another week or month or what day, they were going to divorce any time. Yeah. And the fact that she got complete control over everything and released like the shitty box set and released the shitty diary and they didn't have like a proper greatest hits and release of all this and then it wasn't really archived well is just insane that she just got everything so we're gonna read a courtney love <laughs> kurt cobain book next so no, we can actually cut angry. this off and because i don't know any of that and maybe we could just oh, just well, use this last half as the next story, podcast man. like superman one and two yes you know that one yes all right um, I, I personally didn't love this i i don't like her her stories um definitely about other people were the highlights she filled in some gaps you know i read keith's um a life and the stories that she told about keith keith did not tell about himself in that so that kind of filled in some gaps for me definitely i loved reading the bob dylan stuff so for me uh, as into dylan as i am 
the best part of this book was all of the Dylan. And then a lot of the other stuff I thought was fairly pretentious. You know, that was one thing that bothered me about the book is it, it felt a little pretentious at times. Do you think she is normally pretentious? Do you think that's how other people saw her in the rock scene is, oh, she's intelligent, but she was just trying too hard? Could be. It could be, you know, definitely. You can't date a, a famous rock star and expect that it's going to last. And she just continually dated rock stars. So whether it be her fault or their fault or both like oh that's going to be a disaster this is going to be a disaster yeah and she plays it off like oh everyone was sleeping with each other whatever sounds like everyone was affected by it Mm -hmm. and it you know at first you're reading it you're like oh that's like my dream life and it's just sounded like everyone was miserable rap it i moved to rap we sang cars rap There's uh, dick-shaped everything, dick-shaped candy, dick-shaped pastries, dick-shaped toys, and then there are these huge, massive dicks that they, like, carry through the streets that are, like, big trees that they've carved into dicks, and then there's the shrine that's just, just nothing but dicks, and you, like, put flowers on them, and you, like touch the dicks and you kiss the dicks and you like pray to the dicks to get pregnant 